So good to see everyone here tonight. Hey, Kirk. Hey, old man. Oh, that's Pastor Kirk Delaney from the Vineyard Church. He's one of my mates. Since you're here, there were, when I first started here, there were two people. Um, oh, James, you are there too. Uh, who said something to me which was quite profound and has stayed with me and has been a, a part of my development in seeking what God would have for me next. And it was Kirk and Stephen Packer. And independently of each other, they said to me, do you know that God has called you to a region, not just a local church? Do you remember that? And um, that has been profound in, in my life particularly over the last weeks as I've considered, God, what is it that you have for me next? And I wondered what that means, and it seems to me... Hey, Brad. Hey, Dan. Um, it seems to me that probably I won't be the pastor of a local church again, but that God would lead me into places where I get to minister across the wider body of Christ. And that was confirmed to me on Tuesday because I gather pastors together once a month to pray and, uh, and I've been blessed with a network around this area of 44 pastors and Christian leaders now. And uh, as they came, a few of them came to pray with us on Tuesday morning, they said, we have come to support you and we want to affirm your leadership amongst us. And they said... Um, as I had sent an email around and said, well, probably someone else should organise this now. And they said, no, 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 we want you to stay and organise it with us. And so that will continue to happen and we will be gathering a um, working group together on how the Christian churches in this area will respond into the university and how we will do that together, not just as individual churches or branded churches. And I. I really love that. That's my heart. And um, so I'm really blessed in that. And uh, we will still be living at Scarborough and we are going to go and hang out at Redcliffe Church of Christ. Um, spoken to the pastor there, Wally, and said, hey, mate, can I come and support you? I don't want a position. <laughs> I just want to come and support you. And he's really uh, quite pleased with that as well. So uh, please pray for us. And I will probably continue to uh, earn um, income from doing funerals and I want to ask you to pray for me on Thursday. Um, I've been asked to conduct the funeral for um, Larissa Bealby who was found in a barrel in the back of a ute and um, I've been working with that family. So that is an opportunity of giving the light of Jesus into people's grief and in their pain. So if you would remember to pray for me on Thursday, that would be awesome and for her family, because as you can imagine, it's pretty tough for them. I get to share today as the last in a four week series that has been happening here uh, for four weeks. And uh, it's called The Spirit and the Mission. And we had a combined service a few weeks ago where I shared on Matthew 9, where Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. And then we had Adam James from Cup From Above come and share some testimony of what had been happening in their ministry. And then Tim shared last week uh, about some really practical ways of how we engage in mission. And I'm going to share from a, a, um, 
a passage out of Acts 4 from verses 23 to 31 tonight if you are going to get Bibles out on your apps or whatever you want to do. I will share some of the, uh, the verses here on the screen. And you see, the, um, if we are to embark on the mission that God has given us to bring his light and his life into this world, then it is that we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to assist us or to work with us or to partner with us or to empower us to be his agents in the world. We desperately need the infilling of the Holy Spirit, don't you know? I sort of get a bit of nodding. That's okay, you can call out tonight, that's okay, I don't care. Um, and I get to speak as long as I like because this is my last time and um, because I speak long anyway. Uh, this, oh no, it won't be extra long. It won't be extra long. So we need the Holy Spirit to birth his power in us, to provide his power for us, and to exercise his power with us. In Acts 4, we read the story of Peter and John, and they had been uh, in prison because they were proclaiming the name of Jesus. And it says that they proclaimed that message that in Jesus is the resurrection from the dead. That in Jesus, because of his resurrection, there is resurrection for us from the dead. From the death of sin and eventually from a physical death, there is no more power of death on those who place their faith and trust in Christ. And in verse 12 of that, uh, that chapter, they say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And because of that message, they weren't popular. The Jewish Sanhedrin took them before, and our Sanhedrin is the council in which there's a bunch of rabbis all get together and they pass judgment on things. And uh, he faced the Sanhedrin and they threatened, they, they faced the Sanhedrin and they threatened them not to say anything more about Jesus. Don't pronounce his name in our community anymore. Do not ever uh, bring this message. We are threatening you. And we understand that the threat was very real. They threatened their life. But then they released them. And after their release, they gathered with a bunch of people and they prayed. Uh, they, they prayed with all of these people about, which we'll have a look at in a minute. And in this story, we read something that is so relevant to us today. It's something that's not just a story in the background or way back then that we read and say, oh, that's nice. That was way back then. But it's a story that applies to us. It applies to the church. It applies to our everyday life. If we're going to be truthful in our walk with Christ, if we're going to be the church in our community, then this is relevant for us now. And there's five little things that I want to bring out, and I'll read. We won't read the scripture first. We'll go through it a little bit as we're going along. So the first thing that I want to uh, highlight out of this story, let me turn that on and let's see if it works, yeah, is the answer. We all like to get an answer when we pray, don't we? And so these guys got an answer from their prayer, and it wasn't just Peter and John that prayed, but remember they went to their friends and they gathered together and they prayed together, and we'll have a look at that too. And this is what the answer was. 
And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. That means that the whole place was physically shaken. Imagine that. I don't know if it was an earthquake or whatever. It was just the little building they were in. We're not told that. But the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Imagine after a prayer meeting that everything gets shaken. I reckon that'd be fun, actually. Be frightening, but it'd be fun. Now, we ask ourselves a question when we look at an experience like this. It was just this just a once-off? Well, no, it wasn't. Because we read a couple of chapters before when the Holy Spirit came upon people in, the, in what we call the day of Pentecost. And there are some parallels with the day of Pentecost and with this experience that these guys had. In Acts 1.4, they had been praying. Here, they had just prayed. It says in Acts 1.4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a parallel. Here, God shakes the building to demonstrate his power. In, in Acts 2.2, a, sa a sound came from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. And that still has happened today. I know of an experience of that in the Solomon Islands during some revivals there. And then here, they spoke the word of God with boldness. At the day of Pentecost, they began to speak in other tongues of the great things of God and began praising God. So there are some parallels between these two experiences. In other words, Pentecost was the first great outpouring of the Spirit on the church. And here is another one. So it's not just one incident once off. In both, God gives physical demonstration of his power. In both, he gives the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In both, he releases open and courageous speaking whether it was in uh, unknown tongues or uh, speaking their language in the word of God in boldness. Whatever else Pentecost is, it is not a uni uh, unique as an outpouring of the Spirit to empower the church for witness. The blessing of Pentecost would happen in different ways, in different measures, throughout Acts and through the rest of church history, and it continues to happen today. Oh, that we would have an outpouring of God's Spirit on his church today. Oh, that we would have that, not just the experience, but the power that comes from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon his people. Not just so that they can get their jollies, not so that they can just have a nice little experience and a bit of uh, uh, goosebumps or something, or fall on the floor, but that they would be people who are equipped with power to bring his word into this world so that people would see Jesus for who he is. Thanks, Bran. <laughs> I can pay him later. <laughs> it's exactly what we desperately need. This prayer is for today because of the answer that came. This outpouring of the Spirit is exactly and desperately what we need in Australia today. It's it, desperately what we need because of the challenges that we face. It's not just for a struggling church. It's not just for a deficient church. It's not just for those who are lacking in faith or for those who have sinned. 
It's for those who seek God for what he has for this world. For you notice the people on whom the blessing had come. It wasn't the disobedient or faithless. Some of them, Peter and John, had just been through some, something that was spectacularly obedient as they pronounced Christ into the world and they were arrested for their profession of faith and they were put under trial and under threat. In fact, verse 8 said that Peter had been filled with the Holy Spirit when he stood up to, to speak in the courtroom, when he spoke to the Sanhedrin. Now he and the other praying saints are filled again in an, in, an, in an extraordinary way. If you say it like that, you get it out. Even if you love many things about rivers or the church in which you attend, and there are representatives of different churches here. There is the Central Samoan Seventh-day Adventist church folks, the Schusters here, Good to see you. And uh, some Baptist friends and some Pentecostal friends and some Vineyard friends and some Life Centre people and some Albany Hills people. And we're all here because we're all the family of God. And there's no difference between us. It's just that we worship in different places. But we're all the same body of Christ. Isn't that exciting? That really gets my blood going. That we get people all together. I share a little story. I'm going to go on tangents. I'm allowed. This is my last night. I went through burnout in the 1990s when I was a pastor and then I managed a funeral home. And whilst I was there and I was doing things in the community and whilst I was there I was praying one day and I said, God, what is it that you got for me? I don't understand. I've been here and there and now I'm here. What, what's the deal? And whilst I was praying I saw this awesome picture in my heart and it was this big giant bunch of coloured helium balloons funny picture to have and all the strings came together and there was a hand holding the strings and God spoke to me and he said you're a gatherer of the strings and that says to me that in the gathering it's the gathering of people it's the gathering of churches it's the gathering of Christians it's the gathering of non-Christians it's the gathering of people so that they would relate together build relationship together and when I see all of you guys here tonight and guys from who worship in other churches that gets me really excited because this is a picture of uh, the kingdom of God you see that we all gather together as one don't you love that now that's my tangent done. Um, and so these saints got together because of the need of the, of the world that was around them. Because there was a threat on the name of Jesus or on the, the followers of the name of Jesus. On the apprentices that had just come into the kingdom, the 3,000 in one day, there was a threat against them, the threat of death and the threat of destruction. And there was a hardness in the world. And so this prayer was so vital because they needed this, the outpouring of the Spirit because of this hardness. You see, this is not just for us. The Holy Spirit doesn't pour out just for us. He pours it out so that we are equipped to be his people in the earth to fight against the hardness, to fight against the opposition, to stand up against the threat. Not only do we look at the answer that was given, but we also look at the prayers, those who prayed. This 
this prayer is so for us today because of those who prayed. For in verse 23, it says, When they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they, they lifted their voices together to God and said, And we'll do the end said soon. Luke does not say when they went to the other apostles. He doesn't say they went to the pastors or the elders or the, the people with position. He says they went to their friends. And if we look at that in the language, that, that word used for their friends is used in other parts of the scripture. It's used in Acts 24, 23, when Felix... Uh, the boss man gave uh, the order for a centurion to arrest the Apostle Paul because he was preaching the truth. And the centurion uh, uh, put Paul in prison, but Felix says, now don't stop his friends from coming to visit him. Don't stop those people who are familiar to him, his friends and family, to come and visit with him. And it's the same word, friends and family. I'm just waving to my grandson over here. If we read in John uh, 1.11, Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. It's the same word. It means the friends and family of Jesus in his own hometown. He came to those he knew so well, but they did not receive him. So what that proves to us is this, that these people gathered for the prayer were not just the, the hierarchy. They're not just the people of position. They're not just the people of education. They were people who uh, Peter and John knew. They were their friends. They were the fellow believers that they came to pray with. Therefore, this prayer is for now because it is prayed not by someone special with rights and privileges. This prayer is prayed by Christians. And not just people who go to the Vineyard Church or KCC or Rivers or, or uh, Albany Hills Christian Church or, or wherever. It is prayed by those who believe in Christ. Is that exciting? Yeah. It is the church gathered, not just the apostles. And if we get a hold of what this really means, being the church, it's not just a bit of bricks and mortar and a thing that we call the church. This ain't the church. This is a shed. Those who believe in Christ are the church. We are the church. And when the church gathers, there it is that we pray together and there it is that God comes and ministers to us and answers our prayer. And these weren't just the prerogatives of the apostles either. Stephen, who wasn't an apostle, and Philip, both of whom uh, did signs and wonders in their ministry, were deacons and evangelists. They weren't what we call the apostles. So the prayer is for us because of who prayed it, people like you and me. Third thing, we're getting through it. Settle in, it's all right. If I turn this back on, now I've been playing with the batteries. Now it's not working. Thank you, Jesus. Um, next, please, Mel. So we looked at the answer and then the prayers and now the occasion, the occasion on which it's prayed. Following the threats of the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin said, we're going to get you if you speak the name of Jesus anymore. They'd just been released from that custody. 
and verse 23 says that they told other believers specifically what the chief priests and elders had said. Verse 29 clues us in on what, what this was. The believers pray, now, Lord, look upon their threats. I don't think I've got that up there. Look upon their threats. In other words, Peter and John had told them about the threats that were mentioned in verses 18 and 21, which is the next one. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. In verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. There were some extraordinary obstacles in their way. There were some great oppositions that tried to stop the spread of the name of Jesus in that world. This is why the church is so urgent in the need to pray, in the need to come together and pray. They don't assume that they can keep on in advance in an effective ministry without a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by baptism in the Holy Spirit, if you know what baptism is, it's the, um, isn't he cute? That's my grandson. Um, <laughs> baptism is the immersing someone in water. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is immersing someone in God and in the power that God has for them and the power that God wants to imbibe in them and to work through them so that the life of Christ and the light of Christ come through them wherever they go. And so it is that they needed a fresh sense of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For fear could paralyze them at any minute. It could. Imagine being under that threat. Once they look in their children's faces under threat or their family and they think, oh, what are we going to do now? When we read of stories all over the world when someone comes into a meeting and uh, brings a gun and threatens to shoot people, what would we do? As I look at uh, my sons and daughters-in-law and, uh, and children, grandchildren here, if I was under threat by someone with a weapon, the temptation is to say, let's get out of here. I read so many stories and heard so many stories of Christians all over the world who have been threatened by people threatened by gunmen, threatened by others. Recant the name of Jesus. Turn away from the name of Jesus or we'll kill you. And they said, you can do whatever you like to us, but we'll never, ever deny Jesus' name. What would we do? What would we do? It's not just so that we can get an experience of the Holy Spirit that we pray. It's not just so that we can, as I said before, we can get our jollies or we can have the goosebumps or that we can say, look at me. It is so that we would be people who would stand up under a threat. If you talk to people who are being persecuted all over this world today and they ask you to pray, they don't pray, get us out of here. They say, would you pray that we'll be strong to stand up under the threat? For there are obstacles and dangers we face. So this prayer is so much for us because of its occasion. We face obstacles too. Persecution of Christians is a way of life in many countries. And I'm told that there are hundreds of thousands of people every year who are giving their lives because they're standing up for the name of Jesus. They're being killed for their faith, murdered 
slaughtered because they're Christians. In Australia, persecution isn't as overt as that, but persecution against Christians is increasing because our freedoms are narrowing. As the secular people feel more and more threatened by our message, message that there is only one name under which you must be saved, that message is, is to them threatening. And so the persecution is increasing. But even short of persecution, the obstacles we face making Christ, Christ known are great. With the anonymity or uh, anonymity, that's a, I got that word out. The, the, uh, the unknownness of our neighbours. We don't know our neighbours so much anymore because our neighbours are often transient. They're in and out, the rentals go off, they go. And, and we don't take the time to get to know our neighbours because they become anonymous to us. When they've cocooned themselves into their own homes, when entertainment is at our fingertips every day, every minute and every hour of every day, we can just sink ourselves into that. We don't need God. We don't need God because we're entertained. We don't need God because we've got all the stuff at our fingertips. We don't need God because we could just buy stuff and have it to replace it. But you know what that replacement or what that, those, uh, those things that we buy are? Those things under the... Um, the, the interest-free loans and stuff that we can so easily get, go and get our 65-inch TV or whatever, or 75-inch or however big you want the blinking thing, that you can go and get, um, you can go and get an interest-free loan and, and pay it off over so many months and you can have it in your house today. You can put your holiday on it from the travel agent down the front. Would you like to give a little advert while we're here? Um, you, you, can, you can do all of that stuff. But you know what our grab for stuff is? Our grab for stuff is to try to fill a void, and that void is the everlasting. We're trying to fill this vacuum in our lives because we're searching for the everlasting. But we know that there is only one who will fill the everlasting. In the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was Jesus. The only one who can fill the everlasting void in our lives is Jesus. And it won't be our TVs, and it won't be our stuff. But that's the stuff that's, that's blocking us from knowing who God is. Because there's a God ignorance and an ignoring of God in our community, in our culture. And even in our medical technology. We don't need God. We've got everything that we need from our doctors. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know because I'm in full remission from cancer because of a, a clinical trial of drugs. And I think they're wonderful. They don't even have any side effects. But even though I have a clinical trial of drugs, I still need God because it doesn't fill the everlasting void. The problem is that our churches have become so enmeshed in the world that we become powerless. We're supposed to be here radically changing, presenting a message that's so radically different. And yet we've become so enmeshed with the world that our message isn't as radically different as it should be. 
And the problem is, too, that some churches have so bunkered down in their own little God box they call the church. And they call across the porch of the church and they say, come in here and hear the good news. Come in here and hear the good news. And if you don't want to come in here and hear the good news, well, you can all go to hell. It's time that we remembered that the church is not a, an organisation that's to bunker down. It's a living organism that is to be in the world to bring the light and life of Christ into the world. Now I'm getting on my soapbox. There was an old hymn that we used to sing or when it was sung when I grew up and it was the, most, the biggest load of crock you've ever heard in all your life. And uh, you might remember this, Kirk, there was this um, chorus that says, Hold the fort, for I am coming. Build up the walls. Do you remember that old one? Have you ever heard that one? It must have been a Baptist one. And, um, <laughs> and build up the walls so you can all hide in the fort because we're all waiting for Jesus to come. And get in there, we're all safe and lovely and we can all hide together. What a lot of crock. <laughs> Throw that him out, will you? I'd rather do stand up, stand up for Jesus. You soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner, he'll not suffer a loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead till every foe is vanquished, vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. It's not time to hunker down. It's not time to keep to ourselves. It's time that the church is without walls and that we're in the community and we're facing the enemy and we're facing the oppositions and we're seeing Christ proclaimed. The gospel of the kingdom. <laughs> Get rid of the cobwebs. If the early Christians with their first hand experience of the risen Christ and their immediate access to apostles and eyewitnesses needed to seek a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to carry on in their situation, how much more do we need it? Fourth thing, the focus. So we've gone through the answer and we've gone through the prayers and we've looked at the occasion and this is the focus of their prayer. The focus of their prayer was to, to declare who God was. It wasn't to declare their need. The focus of their prayer was to declare God. It's remarkable that they take five verses to declare who God is and they take two verses to ask what they need. Now God does not need to be told who he is, does he? He knows, oh it's working again Mel. He, he knows exactly who he is but the Christians need to know who he is. And precisely in their prayers, they need to know and confess that he is the kind of God who can and will answer their prayers. We need to know God. We need to know him. In the essence, what they were doing in verses 24 to 28 is hallowing God's name before they pray, thy kingdom come. If you will remember the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, it says... Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. We honour you. We revere you. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your, let heaven come to earth. Let your kingdom come in our lives. Let your kingdom come in, in our community. Let your kingdom come. 
And so what they're saying is, God, we want to hallow you first. They identify God in two ways. First, they say that he is the creator of all things. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they appeal to him as the creator of all. They know that if God created everything in earth and in sea and in heaven, then these elders and priests, these Sanhedrin, are the property of God. And, and God can do with them as he wishes. Do you see? God, you're sovereign. These guys are threatening our lives. But you're sovereign. These guys are opposing us. But you're sovereign. You have authority over them. Even when people oppose us, God is sovereign. He has authority over them. Isn't that awesome? So they declared this to say that God can do with them what, as he pleases. Second, they say that God is the one who is ruler over all, even the deeds of evil men. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our, day, our father David. You look at this and you think, what does that mean? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And that's speaking of Christ. They say this by quoting Psalm 2. This is a direct quote. And then by showing that the psalm was fulfilled in the way God was in control when evil men killed Jesus. God was in control when evil men arrested Jesus and tortured him and nailed him to a cross. God was in it. Oh, how do you get your head around that? For truly, oops, is that you? I think I might be going a bit too fast. Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine a vain thing? Verse 25. Their rage comes to nothing and their imagination is empty because God rules even over the sinful deeds of men and causes them to backfire. Again, hello. Jesus is risen. And the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Even though they tried to destroy Jesus, even though they tried to rage and come against God and, his, and who he was and his anointed one, God used them to do what he needed to do so that Jesus would rise from the dead and he would become the cornerstone of the church and he would say, your plans have backfired because I am the sovereign God. And these guys are declaring this, that he is this one. They are declaring, God, you are that sovereign one. You have all authority and all power over all things at all times. All their rage and all their imagination had been turned back on their own head. Don't you love that? That God has control? Not that people are turned back on their own heads, but that... God has control. Indeed, 
Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They did exactly what God decided for them to happen. Now remember, all this is a prayer. And we're nearly finished. Isn't that great? <laughs> Doesn't matter, does it? No. All this is before asking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Here is what, this makes, what makes this relevant for us today, for our praying. Many would tell us that doctrine and theology and the right uh, understanding of God are not important. All you need is the experience. That's not true. In this church, we say that knowing, growing and going are really important. Knowing God for who he is, growing in that knowledge and in community and in relationship with God, and then taking it to the world. Knowing God for who he is is really important. Now, we understand that not every church has all of the truth all of the time. Otherwise, we'd become cultish because no one else would have all the truth. Sometimes we go into error, but that's okay. God works with people who have error sometimes. That's my granddaughter. She's smiling at me. She's saying, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The doctrine of creation, the doctrine of sound scripture, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, even over the voluntary acts of sinful people. They knew that. They had an old, a knowledge of Old Testament prophecy. These things were essential as they understood who God was. For the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. He will not lead us into untruth. He will always lead us into the truth. He is not indifferent to bad doctrine or to error, but uh, he uses people who sometimes have uh, doctrine that we might not agree with, don't you know? He would use people who, in church history, he would use reformers and pour out on them, and he'd use Wesleyans and pour out on them, and he, he, we can look through history because God wants to touch his people to bring the message of Christ into our community. If we want his fullness, we will do well to fill our minds with truth. He has revealed to, about God in Scripture. Then we will pray more likely the early Christians, knowing, growing. And the last thing is the request. In verse 29, they arrive at their request. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's their first request. And it means, take note, Lord, what is at stake in their threats? They have commanded us not to speak your son's name anymore. That is what is at stake here. So rouse yourself, Lord, because nothing is of greater interest to you than the honour of your son. Rise up, Lord. Rise up and take note. Look at their threats. Their threats were real. Their threats were very real. We read in, in uh, the in book of Acts that James was taken and he had his head cut off. Stephen was arrested and he could have had his head cut off, but he was stoned. These guys would put their lives on the line because of the name of Jesus. And so these prayers said to God, take note, Lord, 
Take note of what the threat is. And this is the kind of argument in the court of heaven. Here is why you should help us. The threats are against your son's reputation. That's why you need to help us. Here is what we need so that we do not cave into their threats. We need your strength, your help. We need you. We need God. In verse 29 to 30. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is the prayer. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They ask for three things. That God would give them boldness. That God would stretch out his hand to heal people. And God would cause signs and wonders to happen all through the name of Jesus. In other words, their desire is to be empowered in such a way that the name of Jesus will be vindicated, that the name of Jesus would be made famous, that the name of Jesus would come into people's lives and he would change them. How should we seek the power of the Holy Spirit? This is for us today because it shows us how we should be seeking his power. This prayer we should be praying for it like they were and remember what Jesus said in the Gospels don't lose heart ask keep on asking seek keep on seeking knock keep on knocking because that's how you ask for the Holy Spirit keep on asking keep on seeking keep on knocking asking for the Father to give you the Holy Spirit to pour out his Holy Spirit. And that means praying not only in general ways for the outpouring of the God Spirit, but in specific ways that we would speak the word of God boldly, that he would stretch out his hand for healing and that there would be signs and wonders following the preaching of the word of God. Some of you aren't convinced. But this is relevant for us today. It's not just for then, but it's for today because God is still the same God. And I want to say to you, if you think, oh, that all finished at the apostles, I want to say to you, it hasn't. Because God wants to do his work in people's lives, the work of the miraculous, the work of supernatural, so that people will not just get their jollies, but they will turn to him, they will be released into that, that place of relationship with him, and then they will be the carriers of that to other people so that other people will see Jesus. <laughs> okay, I got my jollies on. Yeah. <laughs> preaching is primary because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation but signs and wonders are helpful witnesses to the word of grace this is for us today this is for us today not for an introspective per people who are merely interested in unusual experiences but for a people who long for the salvation of sinners and the magnifying of God's glory and for the public vindication of Jesus' name to make him famous, if that is what we want, then this is the way to pray. And three take-home things. Sometimes we say, oh God, do it. Do it to me. Oh God, do it for me. And the Holy Spirit says, no, do it with me. He's all right. He knows that. The Holy Spirit is inviting us to be involved with him and to be partners with him. 
Jesus has said to us, come to me, all you who are weary laden, I will give you rest. Come to me, I am your salvation. Come to me, I will give you forgiveness and mercy and cleansing. I will give you all of that in your life. Lincoln gets excited. And <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Is he wonderful? <laughs> Talk about false doctrine. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, the, the Holy Spirit is asking us today, will you partner with me? We often say, do it to me and do it for me, but he's saying, do it with me. Be mine. Jesus is inviting you to be his tonight. Jesus is inviting you to have relationship with him if you've never had it before. Jesus is inviting you because he is the, his name is the only name under heaven by which men, man or woman can be saved. Jesus is inviting us to come into that intimacy with him. And Jesus is inviting us to proclaim his name so that it will be famous in this world. And us, as his believers, no matter where we are, where we worship, his believers, the body of Christ, to stand together and to pray and to stand together and proclaim God for who he is and to understand who he is and to pronounce that and confess that and to say, God, would you pour out your spirit on us again? You've done it once before. You've done it many times before. Will you do it again? Will you do it on rivers? Will you do it on... Uh, Salon Central Seventh-day Adventist Church? Will you do it on Kingdom Culture? Will you do it on Vineyard? Will you do it on Albany Hills Christian Church? Will you do it in wherever it is that you are? Will you do it at Redcliffe Church of Christ, Gordon? Is that right? Will you do it again? Will you? And he's asking you to partner with him. Hallelujah. You're into the lesson. Thank you for living for Jesus. Thank you for loving him. Thank you for serving God in your life. Thank you. But now's the time for us to stand up and be his people in a world who needs him more than ever. Will you pray with me? Father, as we hear your word tonight, we are challenged to our bootstraps. We acknowledge you, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who is over all things, who is in all things, who knows all things, who has power over all things. We acknowledge you, sovereign Lord, for who you are. And we need you. We need you because you are the God who saves. Jesus, your name is the only name under heaven by which someone can be saved. And Holy Spirit, you are the equipper. You are the empowerer. You are the one who guides us into all truth. You are the one who takes us, these imperfect beings, and uses us to bring cleansing and healing and forgiveness. You are the ones who you uses to bring the word of God boldly so people can know Jesus. We want to work with you. 
don't just do it to us. Don't just do it for us. But Holy Spirit, do it with us. We open our hearts to you tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.